Church, it's good to see you again. Gail and I have been in Israel. We got back yesterday, a little bit jet lagged, but we're here and excited to be here. Uh, our kids, uh, oldest daughter and her family lives in Israel now. So last year sometime I said that I only had a couple of more trips in me, I think. But uh, now, then after that they announced they're going to be in Israel for two or three years. So as long as they're in Israel, I'm planning to go each year. So, uh, and we'll see you after that. But uh, a, a trip to Israel is better than Christians realize. It's, for me, it's not a tour, it's a retreat. It's a time to meet with God in the Holy Land, and it's special. And I encourage you to pray about uh, going one day. And if the finances are a challenge, I just encourage you to really ask the Lord to maybe do something special to provide for you. But it's a, it's a, it's a great time to meet with the Lord, and the Bible comes alive in a, in a fresh way, seeing the places. Uh, if you're newer here, we'd love for you to fill out a welcome card and let us, let me send you a note and just uh, welcome. We'd like to, to do that. You can drop those cards in the offering baskets around the room and we'll get those. Church, we're going to pray. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. If you would join me with all your heart, full voiced. Can we pray together? Pray now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, there is no one like you. You do all things well. You are the sovereign, holy, infinite, perfect God. And it is our privilege to know you and to love you, to be in relationship with you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for a Savior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for resurrection. We bless you. Now, Lord God, I am aware that many of us have huge challenges in our lives. And some, all of us have some challenges, but some of us, Lord, have enormous challenges. Lord, would you stretch out your hand to rescue, deliver, and protect, and guide, and provide this morning. Lord, we know there's one church in the city, and this weekend we're praying for Providence North. Lord God, a newer church here in our area, would you bless them in every way? And Lord God, we pray for the Chungs in Malawi from this church serving you in Malawi, would you please let them know that we do not forget them, but we pray for them, your spirit to fall upon them every day. Now, Papa, we love you. We want to hear from you and to meet you this morning. Would you please speak to us through your holy word, which is alive. These are our prayers. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Church, our passage today involves work. We near the end of Ephesians. Work is the topic today, the classic passage in the New Testament on work. The next two weeks, the spiritual battle, classic passage on spiritual battle. So we're, we're drawing close to the end. Now work, um, it's not an exciting topic, but it is so important because Work is such a big part of our lives and is so deep in expressing our attitudes and heart toward God more than we realize. All of us work. Not everybody has a job, 
but all of us work. And that would include yard work, housework, parenting work, school work, uh, volunteer work, and jobs. Every kind of work. God has made us to work. You need to work. Because it's part of your humanness. God gave it to us before the fall in the Garden of Eden. God works. He always works. He's working to this day, and we're created in His image. God has made us to work, not just veg. And it is vital that we work with the heart, the attitude, the spirit that God has called us to. Now, the passage in the New Testament uh, uses the language of slaves and masters. And I need to clarify that. If you want to understand the New Testament on those passages that mention slaves, you need to understand a few things. First of all, uh, in the Roman Empire, slavery was common, accepted, and universal. It was not racially based. It was not just hard labor. You could be a doctor, a businessman, a house manager, and be a slave. It, it really wasn't quite like the slavery uh, in the United States the previous centuries. Now, slavery, of course, is always wrong. It's never right for one human being to own another one. But I want you to understand what slavery is in the New Testament and what it's not. The term slave is really not our best translation. And perhaps that's why the ESV, which I regard as the best English translation today, although there are a lot of good ones, um, doesn't use the word slave. It uses the word bondservant because the passage is talking about some, something between a slave and an employee. Let's define it this way. A semi-permanent employee who lacks economic and legal freedoms. So kind of quasi-employee. They just about always were released by age 30. Um, different sort of a thing. By far the most common employer-employee relationship in the ancient world was this kind of slavery. Semi-permanent employees. So that's what we're dealing with. But uh, that, this is the best parallel to the work that you and I do, whether or not that's jobs or work of various other kinds. And church, two things about this. One is that some of these principles in here, first two are simple and basic. The next two are simple and profound. And I do not have the ability to adequately convey my heart of how important these are to our daily, everyday lives, that we obey the Lord and not just hear the Lord, not just listen to the Word. Um, if we let the Spirit of God burn these truths into our hearts, it will transform our work from drudgery to worship. Stand with me as I read the passage, please. I'm in Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. 
masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. By the way, um, work is so basic to us that sometimes if men have their entire world and identity wrapped up in their work, they retire, and not long after that, they die. Work is so basic to who we are that unemployment is much bigger than the loss of a paycheck. And so when I hear of men and women at Wood's Edge who are unemployed or have been unemployed, I know it's more than the financial paycheck. It's bigger. And those of us who have jobs currently, we need to understand that and empathize that. Guys, the Word of God has a perspective on work that is completely missing in our culture. And I think much of the church has missed the biblical perspective when it comes to it. So this is for our good. Okay, principle number one, simple and basic. In verse 5, bond servants, employees, obey your earthly masters, your coach, your boss, your supervisor. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. The first principle is simple. Obey your boss. Now, that's not too hard um, in the sense that if you don't obey your boss at the end of the day, you're not going to have that job very long, are you? Now, um, that doesn't mean you don't negotiate and talk and throw out your opinion, but at the end of the day, obey your boss, unless your boss tells you to do something that is illegal or wrong before God, and then, of course, our top loyalty is to Jesus Christ. But we obey the boss, the authority over you, unless it is sin to obey. Now, let me just pause here. Most of us get that, but you need to be aware of something. Those of us who grew up in America, we don't like authority too much. Do you know that about you? This is Democracy City, and, and I like democracy. Um, but we Americans chafe against authority, and followers of Jesus Christ understand what it is like to be under authority, be men and women under authority, especially God's authority, but in the home, in the church, in the workplace, on the highways, um, with police, you know, we don't love authority. And so here it is, God's saying that at your workplace, unless you are the top dog there, you are a person under authority, and you've got some authority over you. Second principle, respect your boss, because he goes on to say, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. He doesn't mean that we're to cower in fear before our boss. Of course not. But there is an attitude of respect. Obey refers to our actions. Uh, the fear and trembling refers to our attitudes, the respect for our boss. You know what this means, guys? This means you don't, only, you don't just obey your boss uh, so you don't get fired. But this means uh, in terms of an attitude of respect, not for the person, but for the position. Because God has placed them in authority over you. You don't gossip. Uh, there's a sense of loyalty. Uh, you're not backbiting. Uh, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, so you are different. Now, now how would that change your work world? Uh, this is what God tells us. This is how to work. All righty. And church, by the way, I am going for this, that, we, that our work would be so distinctive from the employees around us who don't know Jesus Christ that people would scratch their heads and say, man, that guy's different. That woman is different. What's up? with them. And it would lead to an opportunity for the gospel in some way. Maybe by your lives, maybe by your words. All righty. First two. 
Obey your boss, but respectfully. Third and fourth are simple and profound, and every single one of us will be challenged by it because nobody's got this down. Third one, work heartily. That is, work diligently. Work with all your heart. Do your best. This is three times in the passage. For example, verse 5, do your work with a sincere heart, sincere heart, singleness of heart, focus of heart, all your heart. Do your work with your best job. Do your best. Or verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So a specific warning, don't please the person watching you. The boss, that's a people pleaser because you want to please God. He is your main master. Remember earlier he said, uh, obey your earthly masters. They're not the real masters. They're just the earthly masters. You got a real master in heaven. That's who you're working for. I love the story about Michelangelo. Some of you have been to the Sistine Chapel. I think he spent 34 years working on the Sistine Chapel. It's incredible, the, the, the incredible detail there. He was one day laboriously up there painting, lying on his back on a scaffold at the ceiling, a part of the a Sistine Chapel that nobody would ever see. And so somebody below asked him, you know, why are you working so hard on that? Nobody will see it. He immediately responds, God will see it. He got it. I am not working for the Pope who had him do that. I am working for God. I am serving Jesus Christ. How many of us at times have um, put on a little bit different uh, uh, attitude when somebody's watching us, especially if that's somebody's your boss? Unbiblical. That's sub-Christian. That's not what believers do. We are always serving the Lord, seeking to please Him. All right. Now, this principle is repeated, 5, verse 5, verse 6, we've just seen, and again in verse 7, when it says, rendering service, doing your work, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not for man. Now, this could be simply translated, like the NIV translates it, as serve wholeheartedly as to the Lord and not for man. Serve with all your heart. Again, three times in a row, put your heart into it. Do your best. Uh, don't be a slacker. Because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your act of worship. Because he immediately goes on to say, you're doing it for the Lord and not for man. So this means if you're on a sales call, if you're at your computer, if you're in the factory floor, if you're teaching students, whatever you're doing, you're serving wholeheartedly for the Lord and not for man. And that segues into the fourth principle, the grand principle of work. This is the principle in the Bible on work, where it's simply this, work for the Lord. That's what he just said, isn't it? He says, do your work, not for men, but work for the Lord. When you work, you're working for the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord. Now, what difference would that make? Let me give you an example. You've, you've been around Wood's Edge. You've heard this example before. I think it captures it so powerfully. My mentor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, told this story that he was on an American Airlines flight once and that the plane had some troubles. They were six hours on the tarmac. I don't even know if that's legal anymore. Is that legal? But six hours on the tarmac. Can you imagine those passengers? I mean, they've got to be crawling up the walls. One of the passengers, one of the men, was so difficult, so rude. And this is a flight attendant. She's just so gracious, just responded with, with, with love and grace. At some point, my professor, Howard Hendricks, he goes up to her and says, Ma'am, can I, can I just... 
have your name because I want to write a letter to the company that you work for. And she immediately said, sir, thank you very, very much. But you should know something. I don't work for American Airlines. I work for the Lord. Now, you catch that it wasn't a self-righteous perspective. She said, thank you very, very much. But you should know something. I don't work for American Airlines. I work for the Lord. He, he, he engaged her and found out six months before she'd become a Christian. Three months before, she led her husband to the Lord. Every time she went into work, she and her husband prayed for her ministry on that trip. Friends, that's what it means to work for the Lord, to work for the Lord, to work for the Lord. Do you work for ExxonMobil or Chevron or Keller Williams or Klein School District or to please your spouse or to get a paycheck, or do you get what the Bible calls us to as believers when it comes to work? You work for the Lord. You're working for the Lord. And that transforms your work into worship. Makes all the difference in the world. Whatever you do for God is an act of worship. And so you're working for God, it's an act of worship. It is your worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It's worship, whatever you're doing, and that includes your work. Now, um, John White was a medical doctor from Britain. He was also a psychiatrist. And at time, for, time, for time, he was a missionary in South America and at other times a, a pastor in Canada. He said that as a medical student... When he was studying so hard, he came across this passage, and it just it floored him to work for God. Now, what was his work if it was not studying? And this is what he wrote about it. He said, my motivation became, for you, Lord, the drudgery melted away, and a sense of satisfaction and gratitude took its place. Exams or no exams, I would study for God, and I took time off to play tennis with a carefree spirit. I don't mean that I forgot that I had a certain number of months to complete a course, but my sense of responsibility had changed. I was no longer responsible to, to pass the examination. Rather, I was responsible to use my study time in a way that pleased the Lord. I covered the same ground, but was carefree and enjoyed what I was doing. I certainly learned a lot more, though how this affected my marks, I do not know, nor do I care. I was no longer working for grades, but for Christ. And you again see this, this, this principle from another angle. Not just, you know, I'm not working for American Airlines. I'm not studying for my grades. Whatever work we're doing, if we do it for the Lord, it becomes transformed into something sacred and holy, and it becomes an act of worship. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I struggle with this. And in fact, as I studied in this passage for this message, I'm realizing, boy, Jeff, you missed a lot of time in your studies and in your work as a runner and now in your work as a pastor where you were doing this for others besides the Lord. And unless you've got a lot of pride and arrogance, you probably are feeling the same thing right now. Ugh, Lord, I've missed a lot. I've wasted a lot of my worship time. And I was just working. And I wasn't worshiping. You guys know the... Uh, 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence, who, who wrote the little booklet, Practice the Presence of God. And he said, I can worship in the kitchen as well as in the cathedral. He said, I 
quote, I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. When I can do nothing else, it is enough to have picked up a straw for the love of God. Women and men, does that not transform housework and bring dignity to every little thing we do if we do it for God? Or if I could go, go with the, the poet Gerald Manley Hopkins who pointed out, it's not only prayer that gives God glory, but work. Smiting an anvil, sawing a beam, whitewashing a wall, driving horses, sweeping, scouring, everything gives God glory. If being in His grace, it do it, you do it as your duty. To go to communion worthy, worthily gives God great glory, but a man with a dung fork in his hand, a woman with a slop pail in her hand, give God glory too. He is so great that all things give him glory if you mean they should. Oh, would that the church in America today, me too, would have this perspective deep in our souls. Would that affect um, our attitudes, our spirit, our heart, our motivation? Big time. It certainly affects the, uh, the lie that sometimes you hear that, Man, if I was really serious about God, I'd be a missionary or a pastor. That is such a lie. Um, every work is sacred and holy if you do it for God. Full-time ministry? You're in full-time ministry <laughs> wherever you are. And good thing, too, because if, if, if all six, 7,000 people at Wood's Edge you know, were, were doing my job, man, we, we would miss out on so much impact in our city and all these companies, you know, you have a platform that I'll never have. You're salt and light. You're representing Christ. You're in full-time ministry. And, and, and uh, uh, relish the calling that God has called you with. Now, church, all of this is to say, I'm not saying that every job maybe fits you exactly and that there's a place to change jobs or maybe even change professions. Nothing wrong with that. But whatever job or work you are doing, do it for the Lord. For you, Lord, for you, has got to become our motivation. Church, this is simple, but it is so profound and basic as part of our lives. It will transform our work, whether or not that's a job or some other kind of work. All right, as he draws near the end, he gives still another reason for doing this for the Lord. In verse 8, he says, knowing, know this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. What's he saying? God will reward you. You do it for God, he'll reward you. You do it for the paycheck, no reward. You just missed it. I hear a lot of people talking about a concern with money and a paycheck. Not many people concerned about the bigger reward that lasts for all eternity from God in heaven. And then he turns the corner and speaks to the boss, to the employ employer, to the coach, and he says this to us. He says in verse 9, Masters, do the same thing for them. Do the same thing to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. You guys who are in kind of a supervisor role, you ever done any threatening? I have. I have. That's wrong. That's wrong. We, we, we don't arrogate to ourselves that we're special. You may make more money than somebody else, you may have a little bit of more uh, cloud at work, but God reminds you, you are equal before Jesus Christ. We've all got a master in heaven. We bow before him. Tr treat them 
as you want to be treated. That's the fifth principle, treat employees the way you want to be treated. Sixth principle, don't threaten your employees. We don't motivate with fear and guilt. I had a friend write this about work. He said, just as marriage reflects Christ's love for the church, so our work reflects how Christians respect the Lord. You with me here? Marriage is huge because it reflects the way God loves us. Work is huge because it reflects, do you or do you not really respect the Lord? Because that's what he's saying here. I go on and quote. How fitting, since most of us are tempted to make work an idol, to gain our self-worth from it, to respond to our boss as the one who defines our sense of worth by the way he treats us. When we perceive that we're not being treated well, we think we're justified to respond with anger and gossip, but not according to the Bible. Because our relationship with Christ frees us from gaining our worth from our work or from our boss, the way we interact with our masters here on earth should reflect who our true master is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we give respect to a boss, it's because we're giving respect to God in heaven. Our work should always be an act of worship so that others know who we belong to and who we truly work for. Can people tell by looking at you at work who you belong to and that you get your sense of worth from him? What have we seen today? Obey your boss, coach. That's easy, kind of. Respect your boss. Work with all you got. Work heartily, repeated three times in the Bible. Are you uh, somebody who just comes and listens to the Bible, or do you obey the Bible? Fourthly, work for the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord. Tomorrow, you're at that computer. Lord, this is my act of worship for you. Maybe even praying with a spouse or somebody. Lord God, would you please bless this ministry today? It's my act of worship to you. Does that not transform our work? And then five and six, treat employees the way you want to be treated and don't threaten your employees. Church work's not a bad thing. Work's a good thing. Work, not jobs. Jobs may or may not be depending on various situations. But work in itself is a good thing. What is God saying to you this morning about your work? Now, if you're like me, I've already said, you know, I've had a sense of conviction. Man, Jeff, you need to get with it. If that's your response, primary response, then claim the grace of God because His grace washes us whiter than snow. But ask Him, Lord, by Your Spirit, would You change me that I could work in a way that pleases You so that people around me could tell I'm working for the Lord and not for that company. Stand with me. Lord God, bless my dear brothers and sisters because we need your help in this. Whatever kind of work we're doing, we need your help. I need your help. Lord, I can't do it, but you can. Lord, thank you for a Savior as we come to the communion table. We thank you for a master in heaven who came to this earth to die on a cross for us. We bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Church and visitors, if you are new with us, we, we take communion as a response to God's Word, sort of as, a, well, as an act of obedience because God tells us, uh, remember the Lord, remember the Lord in communion. But also, as sort of, we're responding to the Lord, not responding to a pastor or to a church. We're responding to the Lord. And God said with communion, do this to remember me by. That is to remember that I came to die for you and to pay for your sins. And so it's a it's not a, a morbid act of introspection. It's a, it is an 
act of celebration and worship. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for a Savior. It is also implicitly a time, uh, Lord, is there any part of my life that I need to bring to you and have you gently change? The Bible teaches that communion is for any believer, anyone who has trusted Christ, because that's what we're saying as you take the communion elements, you're saying, I've received Christ. If you've never done that, do it right now. Just right now, just breathe a prayer. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. Go do it. So make your way to one of the communion tables in the front, the sides, the back. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord.